Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to Bible Prophecy Talk. My name is Chris and it's good to be back with you again today. All right, so I want to do a number of things on today's show. The first is talk a little bit more about the state of this crazy world that we're living in, all the stuff that's going on. Um, maybe talk a little about propaganda. I also kind of wanted to clear up some things that I was talking about on the previous podcast about the uh, fall of the Republic and some issues like that. I want to talk about Kanye West. I think that is an interesting development. But really, the main thing I wanted to do in this podcast is talk about the kind of wave of prophetic words and prophetic dreams that we're seeing on the internet. As a kind of spoiler alert, I actually do think a lot of those are probably, or some of those are probably genuine. I think the vast majority are uh, people, uh, their flesh, and maybe a lot of uh, some other things that are going on there. And I'll, I'll talk about what I mean by that and how you can give a prophetic word and totally be genuine and totally be a Christian, but also totally be speaking uh, from your flesh. And uh, on the other hand, I want to talk about the ones that I think we should pay attention to, and if they are true, what we should do as a result of that. So there's a lot to get to. Let's just jump right in. So in the last podcast, I was talking about the fall of the Republic of Rome and how it looked a lot like the what we're seeing in America, and I think everybody would sort of agree with that to some extent. But I felt like, listening back on that podcast, that I wasn't as clear on the main point as I wanted to be which was the concept of the cycle of violence for political purposes being the key thing that I'm looking for in uh, a parallel fall of the republic. So there were these, what we might think of as socialist reforms, uh, the Gracchus brothers were really serious about and got everybody kind of whipped up in the, in the city about. And that was about 100 years before this, uh, it actually fell. But it really did start this sort of, sort of socialist party, if you will, in Rome. And that was obviously directly opposed to the sort of Republic Party, which is the, you know, the, the, the senators and that whole sort of ruling class, uh, ostensibly supporting the uh, Republic of Rome. Uh, though they obviously had a lot of other uh, things going on, too. You know, they had money involved in a lot of this stuff as well. But the point is, it was it was divided, a very hard line between the socialists and the Republicans, if you will. It wasn't so much that there was a... The, the fact that the parties existed, it was when the violence started, the Gracchus brothers or Gracchi brothers, um, when they were killed, it started a political cycle of violence that would not end until the Republic did fall. And what it was essentially was that once you normalize the killing or the violence against your political enemy in the, in a, in a, climate in which you have very hard lines divided and particularly on this kind of mob ground because socialism is the kind of powerful concept that can make a person be violent uh, once they feel slighted and you know their, their, their bread is on the line there's a lot of other factors that go into that when we're talking about the two teams and one of them being the sort of socialist sort of eat the rich kind of uh, uh, situation but it's when they killed the Gracchus brothers or the Gracchi brothers, then it kind of just went this tit-for-tat gang war situation. And it is a lot like a gang war in the sense that in gangs you have extreme loyalty. It's like, in fact, the more extreme your loyalty is to your team, the more that, uh, you know, you hit me, I hit you harder. Now I hit you harder. Now you hit me harder. It's that violence cycle that's so hard to end. 
And you might be saying, well, Chris, we're in that now. There's violence going on and, and you know, it's political in nature, so-and-so. I'm, I would say, no, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is, you know, political assassinations, dragging somebody out in the street and beating them, um, you know, that kind of stuff. Once that gets normalized and then the other side, which I made a big point in the last podcast, was uh, the right. Once the right really gets involved, um, it's going to, of course, be amplified tenfold with the media. And that, of course, is going to that that megaphone that the media has, uh, which they will which they will point at their people after the conservatives do do something, will make the other side's reaction even more amplified. It's not just the violence that leads to the overthrow of the republic. It's the desire for normalcy out of the chaos that uh, the violence causes. So chaos, order out of chaos, that's the name of the game here. The, the more the chaos, the more the order, basically. Uh, anyway, I just wanted to, to kind of clarify that with the last podcast, that the main thing I'm looking for is that cycle of violence uh, because it's once you get to that, that it's basically this runaway train that's really, really difficult to stop without a miracle of some kind. I've talked before on this podcast that I don't see a lot of options uh, for this to go back to normal. But I tell you, when Kanye West said that he was running for president, there was a little glimmer of a light that went on. I know it's not going to happen, but it actually is one of those things that could work. I mean, just out of nowhere, hey, that could actually work. My take on Kanye West is uh, that he's an actual, genuinely saved Christian. He got saved, what, last year or something like that. And it was radical. It was the kind of saved that, you know, this guy obviously got saved. I mean, um, there was a number of things. I really looked into it. I could go into all the details. I encourage you to look into it if you don't know this already. But yeah, Kanye West got radically saved very recently. Uh, and he is Kanye West still. You know, he's still uh, very much a savant kind of artist marching to his own drummer, but at the same time, he is very open and doesn't isn't afraid to say the thing that everybody's thinking, you know, or whatever he's talking about. You know, Margaret Sanger and, and vaccinations. and, and all, He has the ability. It, it's I think the reason that I like the concept is that it just it's going to put this media machine if if he actually gains traction with this and it actually becomes a thing what is the media going to do with that i mean they're such in a rock and a hard place situation with kanye west because uh on the one hand they're going to be forced to say that he's the worst person ever please don't vote for him look how awful he is while at the same time promoting black lives matter and joe biden and you know it's just it's going to really make it transparent but, you know, even if he did win, look, we're, we're still in the toughest times ever. But I think that in a way, you know, Kanye West with his craziness, because he is no doubt a crazy person as well, um, in the same way that kind of Trump is crazy. Like, maybe it's that, I don't know, I think one of the best qualities that Trump has, actually, is his weird narcissism thing, <laughs> because it's that thing that makes him, you know, able to withstand this attack, which nobody has ever had to deal with what he's had to deal with in the history of the world. I mean, this guy has been, I mean, you all know, and I don't think if he was anybody else or had any other kind of personality, I don't think he could do it. 
And I think in a way, Kanye has that thing going as well. Plus, I'd just love to see the sort of version of Fireside Chats or whatever that Kanye West does, you know. And Kanye West, I could totally see him. I mean, I think he is actually so much more of a threat, not just because he's an outsider, but he's a Jesus follower, Jesus exalter, Jesus first kind of guy. And... Uh, man, if that guy sees, like, he, I could just see him being like, hey, y'all, there's Satanists all up in here, you know, <laughs> whatever. You know, it would just be, it's a- absolutely not something that, that the Satanist elite could ever let happen. He's so much worse than a Donald Trump as far as they're concerned. So if he does gain traction, they're going to have to turn so much heat up on Kanye West. It's going to be like, whoa, they hate Kanye more than they hate Trump, because that's going to have to be the narrative to keep him out of office because it's just the one thing that can't happen uh, to the to the elite. I don't know, it's probably happened before, like have an actual true blue, genuine Christian in the White House, but it's been a while. But what I was saying about why I think there aren't many options besides something like the, the glimmer of hope of something like Kanye, which I actually don't have a lot of hope in, but uh, it would work if it, it, you know, if it's God's will to do it. I mean, I'm all about seeing where that goes, but in reality, I don't see any of the other two options or whatever the Democrats end up, end up doing being anything but very, very bad. Obviously, Trump is Trump, but if he wins this next election with the frenzy that the media has whipped the world into, I can't see any situation where you don't have a massive uh, riot. And the problem with a massive riot, which is definitely going to be promoted by the other side, is that you then Trump will feel more secure having won the election. Uh, He will probably bring in the state and the state will, which is what you should do. But what's going to happen then is you're going to have the tit for tat violence start because those troops are going to end up having to do some, if they don't kill somebody, they're going to do something that's going to make it really uh, interesting on TV. And while I said before, I think the state is always going to win those fights every time, 100% of the time, what could happen there is that you could have more spring up everywhere, all over the country, more violence exacerbated by what they're seeing on TV, by the state, doing all the things that the, the media told them that, that it were going to do, you know, that, that, that Trump was a Nazi and he's going to bring in troops or whatever. And despite the fact that none of that being what is actually happening and Um, they started it, you know, kind of thing that we would be saying, it doesn't matter because it's all a war of propaganda at this point. So that would really, who knows where that cycle of violence could lead and riots all across the country, et cetera. That's probably the likely scenario if he wins. So that's not a really good, that's not a really good path to take. On the other hand, we've got the Biden path or whoever the Democrats end up choosing to be their, um, their nominee or the vice president or however it's going to work. Either way, obviously, it's going to be very, very establishment. The point is, is that it's going to move us really rapidly into this, whatever it is, basically giving up the country to the world government. Whoever pulls Biden's strings will rapidly do that because that's where we're already so close to doing. They just have not had the levers of the state in their hands for the last four years. But as soon as they get it, they've moved the hearts and minds so far that all they have to do is turn the key now and they get what they've wanted for a long time. So Biden equals uh, major, major shifts in policy, socialism, maybe even the country itself. And I know that sounds very conservative of me and like, oh, this Democrat's going to do terrible things to the country. But I actually think that that's a a logical outgrowth of what happens when 
when and if uh, uh, Biden or whoever wins the election. I guess we can move on to the next thing I was going to say before moving on to the prophetic stuff was uh, the idea of propaganda. I was thinking this the other day because it has gotten so bad. Now, we all know that the media is like just completely divorced from the truth these days. What I was thinking was this level of propaganda that we're in now is the kind of propaganda you really only see in a system in which the other side has been killed already. Maybe that's a little hyperbolic, but right before they get killed, maybe. You know, I always thought with the Holocaust situation, why didn't the Jews just leave Germany? Couldn't they, could they not see the signs that it was going to go there? I mean, if you were a Jew, you'd think, wow, the, this propaganda is ridiculous about us. I mean, they're whipping these people into an absolute frenzy against us. I mean, aren't they, you know, and, and the anecdotal things that, um, you know, people have heard was that they just didn't think that they would do what they did. They just didn't think they would actually kill them, round them up and kill them. Who could have believed that? Yes, they saw the propaganda. Yes, they saw the doors closing in on them, the walls closing in, but they didn't think it would get that bad. And I'm not saying that, I guess, I don't know what to say about it, except for, you know, we're, we're starting to see the conservatives get uh, banned off all the social media platforms. And, and that has gotten worse too, of course. Uh, to the point now where they're just getting rid of all conservative voices. It's becoming mainstream that if you talk conservative things, that that's justified grounds for you losing your job, losing, I mean, just because you're a conservative, basically. So that doesn't require a whole lot more to turn that knob much uh, to, to be uh, full on totalitarian march you to your camp situation. I mean, it really only requires the other shoe to drop, some major instance to happen, a 9-11 type thing, Rome burning and blamed on the Christians, for example. That Think about that. You know, obviously the Christians didn't burn Rome, but Nero, who, uh, looking for somebody to blame, blamed his political enemies, the, the Christians, said, you know, I think they burned the whole city down, those Christians, you know, because they don't believe our gods, you know. I mean, they had, the Christians were just brutally for years and years and years persecuted until Domitian or whatever because of the propaganda that Nero said that they burned the city. And uh, so you, you have an event like that on top of what we're already so close to, that's where you get the actual rounding up of Christians because the narrative that Christians and conservatives, you know, they're, they're uh, not tolerant, they're dangerous, they're armed to the teeth, they're the rest of it. So I know I'm not exactly painting a rosy picture and I didn't really, haven't even got to my main point yet. So uh, mainly, that point was that the propaganda has gotten so bad that it feels like the propaganda in Nazi Germany, or although I don't know much about the propaganda in China, in China currently, or whatever, Turkmenistan. Okay, so the main event of this podcast, if you will, is to talk about prophetic dreams and prophetic things that have been, you know, going around the internet, going viral, people having these sort of uh, what they're saying is a prediction or a prophecy from God about what's going to happen in the next uh, few months or whatever. Let me just first say, I think prophetic dreams are a real thing that can happen. I think all the spiritual gifts are real things that can happen. I also think that all the spiritual gifts are also both faked knowingly by people sometimes and also genuine people using their flesh to sort of make it happen. That happens a lot too. So while some dreams are prophetic and some of the ones that I'm going to mention here, 
I don't know if they are or not, but I certainly am taking the warnings and I'll talk about that. But I really want to talk about how to have discernment for the bad ones, because, you know, if you haven't had sort of experience with somebody coming up and saying, hey, I got a prophetic vision for you, Chris, and from God, and you can get bowled over by that. You're like, you have a word from God from me? Well, tell me what it is, you know? Because especially when you combine that with, you know, the person telling you that is not some, you know, uh, uh, false prophet with a thin mustache. And you, you know that they're genuine. You know that they're a real Christian. And those two things combined with the fact that they have the audacity to tell you that God has a message for you will make you say, OK, lay it on me. You know, what is this message from God? I will do whatever that thing is because I know you're a Christian. I know you're not lying to me. But those aren't the only questions you need to ask. There are other things as well. Uh, and in order to understand what I mean, we need to look at things like the United Pentecostal sort of denomination and their various offshoots. Okay, so And the reason I bring them up is because they have sort of this thing, well, they have a doctrine that says that you, you're not saved unless you speak in tongues, right? So you have to, in this community, speak in tongues in order to be accepted in the community. You know, if you want your dad to like you, you got to speak in tongues because your dad wants you to be saved and your dad doesn't think you can be saved unless you speak in tongues. So you got to speak in tongues, right? And that does two things. I think, number one, it probably make, means that per capita, there are more people genuinely speaking in tongues in the United Pentecostal movement than any other movement, because of the ones that are really saved in the United Pentecostal and their various offshoots, they're probably probably praying like mad for the gift of tongues. Like every night, please, Lord, please help me to speak in tongues. And probably the Lord grants that prayer because they're praying way more than anybody else for the gift of tongues. On the other, and that's for the genuinely saved people in within the, like any church, there's going to be actual saved people. And then there's going to be a bunch of uh, not saved people in the actual church as well. So for the other group, uh, and maybe even for the actual saved, but don't have the gift of tongues, um, they are, they're kind of encouraged to basically what we would perceive as faking it, but they don't think of it like faking it. They think of it like, Okay, so they're kind of taught, you know, you kind of get it rolling, you know, get it started with, and they've got these sort of, I'm not even going to do the kind of mimic it or, or mock it because it, I feel like that's even sort of blasphemous, but they've sort of these these cadences or whatever, they kind of get it started, maybe like a, a little phrase that they have heard a million times, their pastor say and their mother say and their father say, so they know how to get it rolling. And then after that, you just, you just roll with it, baby. You just, you just, you just start saying gibberish basically, because if it's not falsifiable, then, of course, you can believe in your heart that you are speaking in tongues. That's what speaking in tongues is, right? You just, you just roll with it. You say gibberish. You just trust that God is giving you something. Uh, you prayed beforehand, you know, so probably is, you know. So that's the kind of thing I'm, I'm thinking of. Now, in that, obviously, prophecy is even a more desired gift in the Scripture. Um, so, so, of course, that's a part of this as well. And it has a similar kind of idea within the Pentecostal and their various offshoots movements <laughs> in which they are kind of encouraged to fake it, but what we would perceive as faking it, but what they would not perceive as faking it, what they would actually believe is probably given a genuine word. I remember when I was in Africa and I had a good experience in Africa on both sides of this sort of prophetic dream thing. Um, let me tell you the good one first. So I was praying the night before I had to do something in Africa. I was speaking at this uh, conference or whatever and um, praying f uh, about whatever. And then I got a very clear, what seemed like a very clear Bible verse 
that, that was almost like, God has given me this Bible verse and he wants me to pay attention to this Bible verse. I was like, okay. And it was relevant to what I had to do and some other things like that. Um, and then while I was at the conference, the, the guy who brought me there, uh, Chris was his name. He, uh, he turned around in the middle of his sort of introduction and said, God has given me this word for you, you know, <laughs> and it's the, the, the Bible verse that, uh, that uh, I, from the previous night. So that was, to me, important because that was something only God could do, right? Only God could know what I privately was doing the night before the particular verse. It wasn't obvious or anything like that. It wasn't just something, I mean, you, would, you have like a one in a million chance of getting that if you're just guessing. Um, so at the same time in Africa, there were, all, I mean, I was at a pastor's conference, so there was like pastors from all kinds of different denominations there, obviously. Pentecostalism is huge in Africa, by the way. And, um, you know, I was getting a lot of prophetic words from people that were just like, eh, not really, not so much, you know. And I remember Chris telling me at one point, uh, you know, something to the effect of like, they will give a prophecy for everything you know, or whatever, you know, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't being mean about it. He was just saying, that's just what they do. You know, they just, you know, they're, they're oftentimes giving a prophetic word and, you know, very rarely does it uh, actually mean anything. And, and two, I think a good example of a prophetic word that I was given that was obviously somebody's flesh was here in America. I was uh, uh, giving a speech about uh, Bible prophecy of all things in uh, somewhere. And the, the person, there was a, a woman there who was kind of considered to be the, the prophetess of that, uh, you know, the, the gift of prophecy, and she was would use it a lot. Um, so a part of this presentation, at the beginning, I showed a picture of me uh, in the band. I used to play in a band and say, you know, part of my testimony, I was in a band, blah, blah, blah. So just a quick picture on the screen of me being in a band. And her prophetic word to me through that whole trip, she came up to me afterwards and said, uh, you know, God has given me a word for you. He wants you to play music more or something like that. And I was thinking, yeah, uh, sure he did, you know, which was just totally her flesh, right? I mean, she saw the picture. She was like, ooh, that's a cool picture. You know, I think maybe God wants him to play music, which if you know me, you know, I said that to my wife and we both laughed. I mean, it's the, it's the, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pretty good acoustic guitar player, rhythm acoustic guitar player, but I am not anything else. And I think that some of you will probably agree that's not what God has called me to do, play so-so rhythm guitar in a Christian band, you know. I mean, I'm not saying it's not possible, but come on. That was just somebody's flesh. Um, and I think a lot of stuff is like that with the people out there that have gotten the ball rolling with the prophetic stuff, especially, okay, so here's the thing about this. A lot of these prophetic dreams and stuff that I've been seeing and sent and stuff is basically stuff I've already said in the podcast, right? I mean, all you have to do is be a very, you know, be, watch the stuff that's going on and you can just fast forward that a little bit, run it to its logical conclusion three months out. And I can tell you a lot of stuff that's going to happen that I'm almost positive will happen, right? And so a lot of these things are just that. And I want to read one. I'm going to talk about this, uh, the one that got viral on Facebook, uh, Pastor Dana Coverstone, which I actually think we've got a lot more positive things to say about that. But first, I kind of want to read what I think is probably not a good one. Um, so this was somebody that said God gave them this, uh, uh, this message in prayer. It says, uh, and they're, they're quoting in the, in the voice of God here, Daughter, many things will play out and come as more destruction comes in the month of, months ahead. 
Uh, much evil has been planned to destroy the hearts of men. The powers that are behind the scene plan to isolate you even more and control what you can buy at the store. The food supply will start to decline in July as things go awry. Seek me for instructions on what to do as I prepare you for what is to come. Many things will come to cause distractions from a faction taking place. And the definition, of the, for some reason, give a definition of what a faction is here. Then it says, as... Um, the food shortage climbs, the economy will start to fall, and a national emergency will be declared over all, for it is a diversion to cause coercion, to compel people to do something against their will. As fear and panic will set in, looting and rioting will spread, and martial law will begin. A state of anarchy will prevail as a policing state begins to fail. Another virus will arise, and things will become more comp compromised, for the enemy wants to a state of upheaval so that he can come in and lead the people. This virus will be different than before and cause many to fall at death's door. It will be a plague of long ago that will cause boils to grow. You must remain in me regardless of what you uh, see. Come to me with a repentive heart so that I can work uh, in you before the tribulation starts. Okay, so on the one hand, I would say that I don't, this doesn't ring true to me, just the, the wording and everything else. But, uh, and, and on the other hand, it's fairly, what are they predicting here? Uh, they're predicting martial law. They're predicting a famine starting in July, which is a little specific. I'll give you that. And they're predicting, you know, uh, plagues. It, it, you could tell by the language that they're using and stuff that they actually think that this is going to be the, what's happening here. We're, this descent into socialism is going to be the Antichrist kingdom. And that the four horsemen of the apocalypse are around the corner. Like in July, they're making it sound like not only the Mark of the Beast system is coming into play, the four horsemen of the apocalypse are right around the corner whenever this happens. But this is the Antichrist system. To me, this is obviously a person's flesh uh, that is just saying, hey, I believe the end times are around the corner. I also don't have any problems thinking that my sort of whims uh, of, about, about the kind of stuff that I... Uh, have gathered with my news reading uh, and, and basic predictions are prophecy because I think that's also part of how these people sort of convince themselves that they have been given a prophetic word that they sort of incorporate their sort of research as a part of the prophecy. You know, you know, that's kind of what prophecy is. They've probably been counseled, you know, it's, it's part of, you know, what you're able to tell and everything else like that. Now, this person's obviously very bold speaking in the voice of God. And I don't know, of course, this could be true. I just don't, I don't see that. I mean, I certainly don't believe that uh, whatever is going to happen, that we're in the end times, unless something else happens. I don't believe, as I've said here a million times, you can have any of the horsemen ride unless you've had obviously the antichrist show up making a covenant that's the first thing that happens and again if you're tying if you're tying those seals of which the first one is the antichrist to the birth pangs and everything in the olivet discourse then you got to have the antichrist making the covenant first before you can have a you know second third or fourth seal okay so let's move on to dana coverstone who uh you could probably type that name into facebook or youtube and watch his uh 15 minute or so uh dream I heard about this on Rick and Bubba, which is a, a radio show I listen to. Um, but uh, so I actually listened to this a couple times and I, I kind of, first of all, I totally am on board with him as a person, as a, as a pastor. I think that he is, that he's obviously genuine. And what I also like about this one is that he is not a guy promoting the concept of prophecy at every, you know, in terms of uh, prophetic words. He's not a Pentecostal 
pastor as far as I can tell, or he's not a guy that uh, preaches on prophetic words all the time and makes a huge deal about it. It's, he makes the point that he's never preached on this kind of stuff in his church before. So he doesn't have that sort of other kind of baggage that we talked about in terms of that. The dream that he had on the one hand is, it, here's the thing about this guy. He admits that he he's very, you can tell he's very up on what's going on. He's listening to all the podcasts. He is reading what he says, um, however many newspapers a day from places all over the place. He's a very informed, very patriotic person. So you know he is very up on all this stuff. And so what he says in the dreams that happen on the one hand, is stuff that I've already outlined here, that's, that I've been outlining in podcasts for a long time, that's the likely scenario of what's going to happen in the world. In fact, nothing except for, he, he makes the point, I think, uh, I mean, he makes the point about hyperinflation for one thing. I mean, obviously that's going to happen. But uh, he mentions that during the, the, the post-election riots, that there's going to, in the chaos that follows, that that will actually be, there will be troops on the ground. He mentions UN troops, uh, Russian troops telling Chinese troops to go over here and do this other thing. In other words, uh, that that's that's a little bold, right? That's a little bit out there. That was the only thing that I was like, well, that's a pretty big guess. And on the one hand, it's kind of like uh, a conservative, you know, a person that's really up on conservative news could, you know, make that call in their in their subconscious dream world because, of course, the big baddies of the uh, of the world geopolitically are the Rus Russians, Chinese, and UN, all of which showed up in this dream. <clears throat> in other words. I would say that um, everything that he dreamed is the kind of stuff that you would dream if you were uh, had seen all the things that we've been seeing just by doing research. So the vividness of the dream can be true. Now, he does say that he saw the whole coronavirus thing in a very, very similar dream uh, in back in you know December, and he told the people in his church about it and everything else, and we don't have proof of that, which is obviously a thing. So I, uh, I actually believe him, though is the thing there. So, and here's the bottom line of this Dana Cover, Coverstone thing. I believe him. I believe him. He's totally genuine. And I also believe that what he is saying will happen, whether or not, I mean, I think you got to make the call, is it from God or not? If it was a subconscious dream that he had just because his head is full of conservative uh, news, which is probably good news, it's true. It's a true outline of what's probably likely to happen. Um, but here's the thing. It did go super viral. Millions and millions of Christians have seen it. If it is a, if those things that are going to happen are going to happen, then a warning like this is important. Uh, so whether or not it was a supernatural dream, did God cause it? I mean, you get into a chicken and the egg situation. But here's the reason I'm okay with talking about this on this podcast, is that I agree with everything that he said there in terms of what we need to do in preparation for it. And we need to be prudent the next, uh, I'd say, up through November, we need to take some steps, as he makes the, the, the point there, to, uh, to brace yourself. And he says a couple of those things are buying food and getting currency that's not um, inflation, inflation or risk, you know, safe haven kind of stuff, gold and silver. I tell you one thing I'm doing, and it's not because of this video. It's be, I've decided this before I saw this video. I mean, I, like I said, this is stuff that I have been pretty sure is going to happen for a long time. I will say that this kind of put the extra impetus in like, I got to go a little bit harder on some other things. And one of those things is the upcoming film project. Uh, I was just sitting down and just doing the numbers last night. I want to get this out in six weeks. That's sort of my deadline, the end of August. Uh, but I was doing the numbers and I was thinking, gosh, I, I would have to work so hard to get this done. 
And the reason is basically it's all production at this point. I mean, I'm done with the intellectual part of it, but but I've been sort of realizing 80% of this film, of something like two and a half hour film, is animations. By that I mean like After Effects stuff and, you know, motion over here and circles being drawn and all this kind of stuff. It's just a lot of animation heavy stuff. And uh, so it's very, very time consuming to get one minute of film done. It takes, you know, a couple hours to do about a minute. So, I mean, I'm just doing the numbers and thinking I got to be working on this basically all day, every day or close to it. Right now, my, my, I do, I'm self-employed, but I work about nine to five. And then I come home and I spend two to three hours every day on the film. But that's got to change. If I want to get this out before this and have and get it out on the six week, six week deadline, then I'm going to have to spend the nine to five on the film and the two to three hours on uh, on work and just let it ride. I mean, because anyway, that's the kind of stuff I I, I personally think uh, I've been taking uh, money that I have set aside for three to six months expenses kind of thing, putting that into gold and silver. I don't care about the price of gold and silver. I, I stayed out of gold for too long because I was waiting for a drop, but I don't even think I care anymore about what it is because the, the downside, even if it goes back down to the bottom of 1500 is at 1800. Now that's not that much of a loss, but the upside is absolutely massive. You can't find it at your local coin store. You're going to have to do go online or something like that. I wish I had a gold sponsor <laughs> but, uh, or any sponsor. Uh, but the uh, other thing is, and I think silver is a good, is probably a better idea because it's cheaper. It's about 20, what, $23 an ounce now. And it has a lot more room to run. I would expect in a highly inflationary situation for that to be a more useful in terms of buying stuff uh, in smaller coin denominations like that. Plus it's, it, it, it's a smaller market. So once people move to silver, it's not going to take much to put that at exponential basically in the price. And uh, anyway, my point, I guess, is that, and, and food too. I, I have a lot of freeze dried food, but even if it's freeze dried is just, is just one thing you can do. I think another thing that you can do is get mylar bags and oxygen absorbers. It's a very, look on YouTube. It's a very common practice. And then go to Costco, get, get a bunch of those bags of 25 pounds of rice uh, and you could, and beans or whatever else, canned food lasts for basically ever, get tuna or fruit or whatever, but that rice and beans, and then put that in mylar bags, put oxygen absorbers in that. Some people like to freeze the grains, freeze the beans, freeze the, uh, 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 uh rice before you put it in the mylar bags. That way it kills any kind of larva or anything that could be in there, which, uh, is gross, but sometimes occurs in bag, big bags of grains like that. But the point is you could do that. And you could literally have food for years. I mean, rice and beans, you'd probably want to have something else, but you could trade it, certainly. But it's just prudent things like that. I don't see any downside in saying, okay, here's another thing about the Dana Coverstone thing that I liked about it. I actually went and looked at some of his other teachings. He has some other commentaries like on Revelation. And I didn't watch a lot of it, but I did watch uh, Revelation 13 that he did. And I was really blown away by... It sounded like something I would say. I mean, it was sound. It sound. He was saying stuff like, um, and I don't know what he believes. But probably, probably when he gets down to it, he believes something else that that's crazy or whatever. But he did say some things in Revelation, his Revelation thirteen, that made me think this guy and I have a very, very similar view of prophecy. And it seemed like his main point in that was to say was to highlight Revelation thirteen that the the man of sin literally raises from the dead before the mark of the beast happens. And he's saying, look you know, he was talking about vaccines. He's talking about how, look, I'm not going to get a vaccine. They can't rush it to market and expect me to get it. I'm going to avoid it at all costs. But guys, 
unless we see a guy publicly die and get resurrected from the dead, the Antichrist isn't here and it's not the mark of the beast, right? I mean, it's just so obvious that, that, and I was so glad to see him say that because that by extension means he's not saying that this, this, uh, this move to socialism or whatever, this, this chaos is a part of the Antichrist system, which is what I have with it. Again, I don't have a problem with it being whatever happens being a part of the Antichrist system. As long as the actual stuff in the Bible is happening, not just the cherry picking a bad thing. Here's an earthquake. Here's a famine. Here's a, a killing. No, the, the Bible is extremely specific. It's all about uh, the Antichrist. It's all about that abomination of desolation event. It's all about, as he points out, the resurrection. There's a lot of things that nobody talks about because they know if they talk about it, then their little pet theory isn't true. You know, Barack Obama can't be the Antichrist because he didn't uh, uh, make a covenant with many or die and resurrect or declare himself to be God in a temple in Jerusalem or uh, cause people to get a mark on their right hand or forehead uh, with the number 666. None of all those elements have to be true at the same time. You can't just be like, I saw 666 on a building one time. Uh, you can't do that. And I think that I'm going to be so frustrated when the end times really does happen, because I, I feel like most of my battle is going to be like, hey, everybody, the, st the thing that you're all chasing over here and it is leading you into the arms of the real Antichrist. And that's actually, I think, probably why I'm so passionate about this, because the false flag is what I'm more worried about. Uh, uh, I'm, wor I'm worried about the Antichrist actually appearing as a savior to our worst fears. Um, anyway, I'm been talking about that forever so I'll, I'll, I'll end this podcast and say thank you uh, for listening to it and uh, check out the website bibleprophecytalk.com and I'll talk to you next time